This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday always means welcoming in my favorite guy in the world, EJ Raddick from NHL Now on the NHL Network between the hours of 4 and 6 Eastern. He's the true star. Michelle McMahon and Steve Mears are merely props in the play we like to call the EJ Raddick two hours at EJ Raddick <laughs> underscore which I hate NHL. How are you, man? <laughs> uh, that's a lot to that's a lot to unpack. I got to tell you, but uh, thank you. I don't know how Steve and Michelle feel about that. They well, I don't know Michelle. Job, I just right? I met her once. She seems very nice. Steve, very I'm just nice. kidding, Steve. Yeah. If I had Steve on, I would be talking about that you were just a prop in the play they call Steve Mears. I don't know. You know the, more, the more I think about it, though, Donnie, really, it's really accurate. It's hard for me to find really much right. fault with your description of what goes on in those two hours. But uh, anyway, hey, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. So where do we begin, last night or tonight? Let's go to last night. Uh, okay. Ducks even up the series uh, at a game apiece after losing it overtime to Nashville. And I thought the most important part of that game to me was the goal on the power play late in the first period by Vatan, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, it got them back into the game, right? They're down 2 nothing. get the crowd back into it. They also snapped an 0-for-21 streak on the power play, and, and I thought that that was, a, that was a big goal. Did you see it as a turning point as well? Yeah, no question. I think, you know, Randy Carlisle deserves a lot of credit. He's pushed a lot of the right buttons in the playoffs so far. I mean, his team... On a night-to-night basis in the postseason, I don't think they've played a 60-minute game yet, Don. I don't think they've played a game where they could say, hey, we played good in all three periods. It just hasn't happened. Their first periods have been terrible. They've given up 17 goals in the first period so far. That's way more than anyone else. And uh, um, they seem to have an ability to kind of find their way. But part of that is their coach because he doesn't – panic behind the bench and he makes little adjustments and he put uh you know Kashe, i believe that's the way you pronounce it they moved him up yep. to the first line late in that first period and he was able to draw a penalty which led to that power play goal and so just another little adjustment from randy carlisle and he later scored a goal in a game i guess he felt he needed a little bit more foot speed on that line with gets to combat the way the predators play so uh a nice little move he moved uh richie up in game seven and uh, against the uh, against the Edmonton Oilers, and that paid off, and Richie ended up scoring the game-winning goal. He had a game-winner again last night. So Randy Carlos done a nice job, but I'm with you. I thought that was definitely a turning point. Uh, the first 10, 12 minutes, it was not good for the uh, Anaheim Ducks. They fall behind 2 nothing, but uh, that goal certainly gave them some life. And then what do they do? They come out early in the second and score again mm-hmm. and tie things up. So uh, I would agree with you. That was definitely a turning point moment in the game. And also we can give a lot of complimentary um feedback to the Ducks performance but a lot of this happened because Pecorine had by far the worst game he's had in the postseason he had been amazing a 952 save percentage he was the first of all starting goaltenders in the playoffs in pretty much every statistical category and there were at least two goals including that power play goal we just talked about that he probably would like to have back yeah, well, certainly the the last one. I mean, the one that he looked a little off his angle on that uh, shot by Vautnin, Uh and it was a good shot. He hammered it. He's in a good scoring area there, but uh, that's one you'd think uh, the goalie be on his angle, maybe could get a piece of it. Um, but, you know, I'll give him that one. But the one in the third period that Richie scored from the sideboards, I mean, that's just one you can't allow in this type of circumstance. And, uh, you know, Pekka likes to catch a lot of pucks. He'll even catch pucks. He'll cross over and catch pucks that are on his blocker side. Uh, in this case, you know, this is the, the negative of playing the way the goalies play today. If he just literally Don stands there 
and just stands there and doesn't drop to his knees. The puck, the shot that almost hits him in the head, instead just hits him in the chest and he holds on and that's the end of that play. But because these guys drop down on every single shot mm-hmm. towards them, uh, you know, if you put the puck up near their, you know, the top of the net or in an area where they're, you know, up where their shoulders are as they hit the ground, that's a dangerous spot. And uh, it, it just it just fooled Pecorelli and he couldn't get a piece of it and it's in the net. And the Anaheim Ducks were able to, to kind of uh, milk that lead to the end. They got a shorthanded, or excuse me, an empty net goal at the end of the game. And, and so they win game two, and uh, now they go to Nashville one and one. But you're right, Pecorini was had been terrific, and I, I just don't think you could sustain no. you know a nine fifty plus save percentage over the course of an entire playoff. The key no. for Pekka now will be how he bounces back in games three and four at home in Nashville. But uh, yeah, I would I would tell you neither goalie played all that well last night. Gibson was able just to, to hang on at the end and make some saves when he needed, but I don't think either guy was terrific. Yeah, no goaltender in the modern era, modern being 67-68 when we doubled the amount of teams, has there been a goaltender to finish with a 950 or better save percentage in the playoffs. So eventually he was going to have that game like this. And, I, and yeah. I'm not surprised. It just reeked of this series going the distance, right? I don't think either team has a tremendous advantage. I know the standing-wise, the Ducks were better uh, than Nashville. But the way Nashville was playing and as good as the Ducks have been in recent years, you just had a feeling that was going to be a long series. You didn't have that feeling going into the Eastern Conference Final with the defending Stanley Cup champions going up against the Ottawa Senators. And I thought the Rangers were the better team. But, hey, give Ottawa credit. They end up winning the series in six. But you seem to be on the side that this might be an Ottawa team that could possibly surprise. Yeah, I think it's at some point in time you have to realize that uh, this is a very well coached team. Uh, they've got uh, they've got a good goalie who, who's playing well. They've got uh, you know maybe the the best defenseman uh, in the National Hockey League right now, and a guy that impacts the game in a lot of ways, and Eric Carlson. And they've got a bunch of underrated forwards. I mean, uh, Bobby Ryan has had a terrific playoff. He had the overtime game winner as well as assisting on the only goal Ottawa scored in regulation and had a terrific game all the way through. Kyle Turris has been a really good player for them and they just get a lot of all the different players on their team. I mean like someone like Tom Pyatt who nobody knows I mean if you watch him he's a terrific penalty killer and the, and the Ottawa Senators had to kill a bunch of penalties in that first game in the first period against mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Penguins so uh, you know what the Ottawa Senators are like a team that you know when you when they when you play them in a series, you never get really that. There's not a lot of hate, really. You don't really hate the Ottawa Senators. They don't have guys on their team that drive you nuts or play, you know, any dirtier than anybody else is playing, so to speak, for lack of better terms. But, uh, you know, so and they, they play that conservative game. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of good stories when you think of Craig Anderson with the, the situation with his wife, Nicole, battling cancer and Clark MacArthur, Clark MacArthur coming back from a, a string of concussions. It looked like he was going to play again in the background of the Bobby Ryan's whole life and his kind of turnaround in the postseason this year. And so they've got a number of things that are going on with this team right now. And, uh, you know, they're locked in and uh, they've got another thing going for them is that nobody thinks they're that good. And everybody, it's human nature. Everybody thinks yeah. they're going to find a way to beat them. And, you know what? They were very good in game one. They outshot the Penguins by a wide margin in five-on-five. Five. I think it was 31-13 in five-on-five five play. So uh, the Penguins are going to have their hands full, particularly because they're compromised on defense. This is where they're vulnerable. They're missing Latang. They're missing Daly. They're hoping maybe they can get Daly back for game three or game four. But breaking down the tape of that game, the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to have to start playing very simple in terms of their dump-ins, 
when they got the puck to center and got it behind the Ottawa Senators defense, when they had a lot of success that way and had a lot of zone time, they hit three or four posts in the game. But when they get willy-nilly through the neutral zone and, and don't go through with, with, uh, with focus, they turn it over and the puck comes back the other way. And that led to the Senators' first goal of the game, their goal in regulation. It was just a neutral zone, nothing play. That turned into a quick dump yeah. and then a bad reversal by the Penguins' defense, and the next thing you know, it's in the net. So the Senators, uh, I think, are going to be a hard out here, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are really well coached and they've got great leadership, they're going to have to get real focused on what they're doing, shift in and shift out, because if not, we'll be taking a trip up to Ottawa for the Stanley yeah. Cup final. And you know what's interesting, too, and we've seen this throughout all of sports, is to play the underdog card, right? And I think Guy Boucher yeah. has played that to the best. Nobody believes in us. We're supposed to lose right. against the Boston Bruins. We're supposed to lose against the Rangers. Nobody gave us a chance against the Penguins. Where that can come back to bite you is when you start to play well. They win tonight and go back to Ottawa up two games to none. It's going to be tough yeah. to continue to play that card. I mean, eventually, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, eventually, yeah. you're starting to prove to the world. I mean, we recognize it because we follow the sport every single day. But people are starting to acknowledge how good Pajot and Hoffman and Stone and Bobby Ryan are, and yeah. and then eventually that card just seems to be forced. And I get it. I've seen it happen in football a lot. Covering the Jets, Herman Edwards was yeah. classic with that. But at some point, when you're on, you've won nine playoff games already, and could very well be up two games to none going back to Ottawa. That card is just not. I don't. I don't think it's going to gain too much traction. Anymore. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. But I think at the end of the day, for Ottawa, they just have to maintain their focus on doing what they do. They're very frustrating to play against. Mm-hmm. Now, you saw it covering the Rangers series. I mean, they can be very frustrating to play against. And the other thing they have going for them is that you know, as much as people say, well. You know, they play this conservative game and, uh, you know, you get the lead, this or that. I mean, there's been a number of games in the playoffs oh, that yeah. the Rangers could testify to this where the, where the Senators have been down multiple goals and have come back to tie things up and win games. So they can do it a number of ways. They like to be able to get a lead and then just to, to sit right in that 1-3-1 one, one and make it hard for you, make you go 200 feet. But uh, this is a pretty good team that feels really good about the way they're mm-hmm. playing right now. And the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to have to settle in and, and be more, like I said, just be more focused shift to shift. If they When they did that in game number one, they had a lot of success. But uh, they'll have to do it, I think, uh, right from the get-go uh, in the game tonight. You know, the trap has gotten or a one three one or a left wing lock, whatever you wanted to call it, has always gotten that bad rap because it always came across as a team that didn't care to score, grind it out, mm-hmm. bore you. But even going back to the old Montreal days of the seventies, and a lot of teams play a trap but counterpunch. And and they yeah. counterpunch very well. I still see this team defending when they need to defend, but also be very offensive when they need to. And there were other times where the trap was played at a necessity by teams like the Panthers in ninety six where you could say, Ah, well, how great are they offensively? But you know, you look at some of those devil teams, they counter. They had that the uh, a couple of lines that would get you some goals and and certainly Ottawa's have has been able to come up with that combination of the one three one trap but also counter punch and get offensive opportunities off of that. Yeah, they're quick to counter punching. You know, you mentioned the Devils, you know, think about it. You follow the Devils, Donnie. I mean, they have a line called the crash line. Right. Now, when you have a line called the crash line, is that indicative of a team, of a group of three guys that sat in a neutral zone or wait, and waited? Or was that indicative of a guys that dumped the puck in and really went hard on your defenseman? I mean, that's what those guys did. 
And you're right. The Devils, I think they picked their spots. When their time was to sit back in the 1-3-1, they sat back in it. And when the time was to go and counterpunch and get a four-check going, they did that. And I think that's what all these teams do. And I thought last night in the Anaheim game, if you go and look at the tape of the third period, the Anaheim Ducks were very much in a 1-3-1 as they were protecting a one-goal lead. That's just the way the game is played. Absolutely. There's no question. All right, I wanted to bring this up to you. We might have even talked about this before earlier in the season. About what do the Washington Capitals do now? All right, they yeah. they seem to be everything that you need for a cup run. I, I don't. There's some weaknesses there, but really compared to everybody yeah. else, I thought they, you know, they went out and get Justin Williams. Why? Because he's got three cups and he was seven and zero in Game Sevens. He plays his first Game yeah. Seven as a Capital. They lose, and and they so lose. Barry Melrose brought it up on Sports Center and Mike and Mike. I brought it up as well. Do you possibly, if you're Washington, address? moving Alexander Ovechkin. Now, I don't know if I'd have the guts to pull the trigger. I think there is value to filling your building and being relevant. Think of what the Capitals were before Ovi got there. But when you are left with what else is there to do, would you even dream of uh, of thinking about that if you're Ted Leonsis and the Washington Capitals of ever parting ways with Ovi? Well, I mean, let's face it. We go back to the old thing, right? Wayne Gretzky was traded. Anybody could be traded. So that's the first thing, right? So you think about it. Yeah, if somebody calls me, if, if the Edmonton Oilers call and say, hey, listen, we're going to give you a Connor McDavid and we want Ovi. Now, this would never happen, but I'm just saying, if you get somebody that does something crazy, you're going to do, you're going to try to do it. Here's the biggest problem with trading Ovechkin is that uh, his cap hit is, t- is uh, $9.538 million per year against the cap. He's under contract for four more years. He's going to turn 32 in September. When it's in the final year of his contract, he'll be 35 turning 36. Um, You know, he makes $10 million uh, real dollars for each of the next four seasons. He had declining numbers this year in terms of goals. He scored, I believe, was 32 goals down uh, 17 or 18 goals from where he was at. And uh, his shot number was down as well. Usually he's leading the league in shots this year. I don't believe he did. So, um, you know, you have all those things there. So you think about, okay, yeah, are there some teams that would love to have uh, a goal scorer of the ilk of Alex Ovechkin? Sure. I mean, the Islanders would love to probably add Alex Ovechkin to their team alongside John Tavares. But, uh, again, can you afford $9.538 right. million against the cap reach for the next four years? Do you want to pay him $10 million in real dollars? This is not a case like in Arizona where you can take a guy on and you're not really paying him in real dollars. You're just taking on a cap hit. It's much different than that. So um, I, I think the, the the options for a potential trade are really, really limited. Some people would say Las Vegas because Ovechkin was drafted by McPhee. But, you know, I don't really see that as something that makes sense. He becomes a sideshow act or a, a Vegas lounge act, so to speak, out there on a rebuild or on, a, on an expansion team. So I don't see how that makes much sense uh, for Vegas or for Ovi. So, uh, I, I just don't think there's a lot of options in terms of it's easy to say, hey, trade them. But I just don't think there's a lot of options in terms of doing it. And the last thing I'll say about it, Donnie, is, again, just go. We've had this conversation going, you know, back now 10 or more years is, you know, if you want to win Stanley Cups, the, the way you win them is through the middle of your team with your centers, your defensemen. The wingers are great complementary pieces. You know, Alice Ovechkin is a lot like a Brett Hall or a Phil Kessel. Like Hall and Kessel were ter- are terrific players. But they're wingers, and they're they're really elite wingers. But those those players did not have Stanley Cup success until they ended up playing with really good centers on really good teams. They're just complementary pieces, and Alex Ovechkin is a complementary piece, no matter how you know uh, fancy or how expensive 
he's not a cornerstone piece. He's a complementary piece. So with Backstrom and Kuznetsov, uh, those guys, when you match them up against Crosby and Malkin, I mean, they've come up short now in uh, in two successive years. And, you know, again, this year the Penguins could win the Stanley Cup and the Washington Capitals could be maybe the second-best team for two years right. in a row. It's just unfortunate they're in the same division. So I guess moving forward, I don't know what the answer is for the Washington Capitals, but I don't think – you know, whether they trade Ovechkin or keep him, I think that the key to them winning eventually will come with how their how their centers play and how their group of defensemen plays and how their goalie plays. I didn't think Braden Holpe was good enough over the course of seven games. He had some good moments, but not enough right. of them to make a difference. So, I mean, that's where I'm at on, on Ovechkin. He deserves, he deserves blame like everybody on a team deserves blame. But, uh, you know, really at the end of the day, they could be sitting here when all is said and done is the second best team in the league two oh. years in a row. I don't know, you know. I, I guess if you're, the, if you're with the Capitals, uh, it's it's frustrating. No, it's it's frustrating, and certainly the last couple of years they've been burned by the format. Yeah. Under the old format, I think they would have lost to Pittsburgh in the conference final. Uh, now they haven't been able to get up a yeah, second round. That's what I mean. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that does you any good either. And I would say this: I think that you know matchups are always such an important part of these things. I think that the uh, the Washington Capitals would or, or be a, the, the Ottawa Senators are probably thrilled that they're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins because the Penguins don't play a heavy game. Uh, the Washington Capitals play a heavy, heavy game, and if you know they like getting the puck to center ice and pushing the puck deep behind those defensemen. And I think that yeah. uh, you know Eric Carlson is probably thrilled that he's not facing Tom Wilson <laughs> and Alex Ovechkin, so and true. Then, you know Daniel Winnick and those guys will come in and just beat you, yeah. beat the death, beat you to death. And you know, it's, you know, it's also funny, EJ, is that I thought the Rangers matched up better with Washington than Pittsburgh, you know, right? Yeah, so that yeah. that's that's who. If the Rangers had beaten Washington, they would have been hoping for the Capitals to win because I think the Capitals exactly. always had problems with speed, and the Rangers have speed. I, so you're right; it, it's matchup. And I'm not I'm not suggesting trading Ovi as punishment. Yeah. Like we can't win with you. No, let's get rid of you. Trying to win. Just, trying yeah, to just win. trying to find yeah. the right combination. Now, Christian Miner sent me a tweet. You can follow me at, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game is conduct. So based on the logic that Ovi has been the only common denominator over these seasons, then the Red Wings should have traded Steve Eisman and the Dallas Stars should have traded Mike Madonna. Yeah. I completely disagree, though. I mean, yeah. did, did you, because, listen, the North Stars were never close to winning, right? And then when they got yeah. good, they won, right? I mean, That's it wasn't right. like a, it wasn't well, like they remember had. What happened, remember what happened in Dallas. I mean, they got Newendike as a great number two center, and they had right. to trade a young Jerome McGinley, who turned into a great player, to get Newendike. But that gave that gave them real strength in the middle. And then they added a complimentary piece like Brett Hall. And right. now all of a sudden, uh, you know, they were much tougher to deal with. And remember, at that time, in the Western Conference, it was Detroit, Dallas, and Colorado were the powerhouses every year. So, I mean, that's how that went, and that's how Madonna was able to win. In Detroit, they were ready to trade Steve Eisman to Ottawa. I mean, the deal was done, and then uh, Mike Illich came in the next day and said he can't do it. And so Scotty Bowman has that talk with Steve Eisman, and they, uh, you know, Steve Eisman starts – to kind of change his game a little bit. You remember also they have Sergei Fedorov as another center there. Right. And this is a non-salary cap era, so they start adding, uh, you know, complementary pieces to the outside. They have Nick Lindstrom, the best defenseman in the game. And the next thing you know, they're winning, uh, you know, three cups in seven years or whatever it was. Right. So, you know, those are the things. It's all different pieces have to come together. The Washington mm-hmm. Capitals, I think, have a really good team. But unfortunately, you know, when you match Backstrom and Kuznetsov up against Crosby and Malkin, and you match Crosby and Malkin against almost anybody, right. you're going to come up second. You know, that's that's the problem. And and with Detroit, 
when he was when Iserman was because he became under Scotty Bowman more of a of a defensive center and rounded out he his was game. Two hundred foot player. Yeah, when when he when he was that next tier, right? It was it was Gretzky, it was Lemieux, and then the next tier was you know the Iserman, Savard, that kind of thing. Detroit wasn't any good. I mean, right? Yeah, I know. You know, they didn't have a goaltender. You know, the, no. Tim Shevelday was their goaltender. Then yeah. they get, then they start, and then like Fedorov, and then they get Vernon. All right, and they yeah. they obviously they they lose the Stanley Cup final in '95. They were the they win the President's Trophy, break the record for points in '96, lose to losing the conference final again, and then eventually figure it out, win back to back cups. We're talking yeah. about just just getting to the conference final. That's what's frustrating about Washington. They've been yeah. good for a while. They've won President's Trophies, and we're talking a decade now. Of not even being able to get out of the second round, it'd be I one know. thing if they lost in the final a couple of times. Lost. The, we're talking about not being able to win t- two rounds. Yeah, that, that's what's crazy. Had, I think they've had their best teams the last couple of years. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, they ran into really good Pittsburgh teams. I know they had some losses that were disappointing to the Rangers. I don't think they were quite as good as they are now, especially with the emergence of Kuznetsov. Uh, but unfortunately. They have run into a team, and you know, give the Pittsburgh Penguins credit. I mean, they were on, they were, uh, you know, very low. The, the gas tank was was not full when they went into Washington Game Seven after losing back-to-back games, basically getting blown out in their own building in Game Six, missing Latang, missing Daly. I mean, that's one of those ones. If you're a Capitals fan, you're just heartbroken over because you had the Penguins down and out. They're missing key guys, and that's the thing you really, to me, if if you're looking to read, you know, look at your team, that's where you go, boy. Why couldn't we have gotten it done in these circumstances? It's one thing to lose to the Penguins when they've got their full group. It's another thing to lose in these circumstances yeah. on home ice when uh, you know we've got all our players and they don't. Uh, I thought they came out great in the first ten minutes or so, really pushed the Penguins back. Mark Andre Fleury was terrific. And uh, in the end of the day, it just seemed like the Washington Capitals just started to fade as the game went along. And, uh, yeah. you know, by the end, they were they were cooked. And, uh, you know, maybe that's just the weight of uh, of what's happened in their franchise history and what's happened to a lot of these players. But, uh, you know, you got to give Flurry and you got to give the Penguins a lot of credit for uh, going in there and, and finding yeah. a way to get it done because that was one I did not – I thought this was going to be the so year. So did I that it was going to happen, and it just didn't happen. Especially coming back in Game 5 and winning on the road in Game 6. Yeah, yeah crazy. Let's uh, rip through some of the tweets before we let you go, EJ. Okay. Uh, Jillian Sakovitz says, Last year, Penn's lightning fast offense was the key to winning the Cup. Is Ottawa proving it can be with their D? P.S. Hi, EJ. Yeah. Hi, Jillian. We know Jillian. She's terrific. Um, the, um, I would say this is like matchups. We just talked about it, right? Matchups and injuries are a big part of these playoff series. And I think the Ottawa Senators are a frustrating team to play. I think the Penguins uh, can beat them, but they are going to have to uh, understand the way they are going to have to play, which is going to be get it to center ice and get the puck behind the Ottawa Senators. And so the Senators are able to really, with their defense, slow the Penguins down. The Penguins love to play at a frenetic pace. They they can do it. And when they get that thing going really fast, go back and look at the first goal in the game against Washington. The game had ratcheted up to a high speed, and the Penguins can play that way. 
Last night, there was a lot of nothing in the neutral zone for the Penguins. It took them at least uh, 25 minutes to realize that they, the best thing for them to do was just to throw the puck deep and ch- to areas and chase and to create uh, a cycle game going. Once they did that, they were able to create more. So, uh, you know, to answer the question, the Ottawa Senators definitely play a different kind of hockey. They play a, a frustrating kind of hockey, and I think the Penguins are going to have to adjust. And if they don't, they're going to lose. All right, Courtney, do you think the Sens have enough juice left, mainly Carlson, uh, in the tank to keep the Pens at bay to move on to the final? Now, you just basically answered that question, but let's specifically look at Carlson, though. You know, bad foot, but he's been one of the best players. I thought he single-handedly got the job done at the end of that Rangers series. So how do you see Carlson moving forward with his health? I'm not worried about him, you know, Listen, anything could happen. He could end up hurting his foot again, and he could end up being out. You never know, right? That's the the nature of the sport. But I would say, again, not having to play against a team that is really big and heavy up front. I mean, the Penguins want to play fast, and they don't really have – you know, those guys compete and they play hard, but they're not not physically intimidating. I think if he had had to deal with, again, Ovechkin bearing down on him, Tom Wilson bearing down on him, even someone like Winnick and some of these other forwards that the Capitals have, uh, I think it would be a much more of a challenge for, for Eric Carlson physically. Um, so that said, I think that uh, he will continue to do what he does. I think it will be up to Mike Sullivan and the coaching staff and the team in, in Pittsburgh to kind of make his life more difficult, which they did about, about uh, you know, I'd say about a quarter of the way through the second period. The fourth line started to, for Pittsburgh. Uh, Rowney, Cullen, and Wilson just started to chip the puck in, and they had long – stretches of offensive zone time eventually, which led to a couple of changes for the Penguins in terms of their line changes, and they kept the Senators on defense, and they led to a penalty. That's the kind of way you're going to wear down Eric Carlson is just mm-hmm. to kind of pound uh, that puck deep, make him turn, and just make him work in the defensive zone because when he gets it on the move and he doesn't have to worry about being stuck in his own end, uh, he's trouble. Uh, the Hockey four one one thoughts on Johansson's comments on Kessler from yesterday? Well, I mean, let's face it, Ryan Kessler's a pain in the neck to play against. I mean, there's no question about it. And uh, I think Ryan Johansson was a little frustrated. But, I mean, it's not showing on the ice in terms of his play. I mean, he's he's playing very well, Ryan Johansson. He's really stepped up. And, you know, he took a penalty on the one uh, play with the uh, high stick to the face. I think that's part and parcel of the nastiness that goes on. My concern would be that he would get overly focused on that. Now, when we go to Nashville, I think that Peter Laviolette has an opportunity mm-hmm. to get him away from Ryan Kessler matchup-wise. So I think that's probably a plus. Um, not that playing against Ryan Getzlaff is any uh, is any great shakes either. The problem no. for, the, for, the, uh, for the Predators is that they've got to get more out of their other lines because – you know, you have to have Johansson on the ice with, uh, you know, with that with Forsberg and Arvidsson. And if you're going to start to pick your spots where you put them on the ice, all of a sudden you're lessening your opportunity to score. So they're going to need more from their other forwards. We know their D is all over the place and creates offense. I think Johansson has played very well. There's a chance that, you know, I think his comments weren't directed at the officials, which I think is a positive. Because, yes. uh you know, when you could just start saying, hey, there should be calls, you get the officials riled up. What he's bringing light of is like, hey, the guy is, you know, basically fouling me at every turn. And, right. You know, maybe the, maybe in Nashville where the home crowd will be there, maybe there'll be a push for a couple of penalties against Kessler if those if those two get matched up. But, 
it's good hard hockey. I mean, Kessler definitely goes over the line, is, but, you know, that's just the way it is, and I think Ryan Johansson understands that, and he'll deal with it. It's kind of benign compared to some of the things that are said in sports overall, but hockey players oh, yeah. usually don't open their mouth. But in case you did miss the quote, I mean, it just blows my mind watching. I don't know what's going on in his head over there, like his family and his friends watching him play. I don't know how you cheer for a guy like that. It just doesn't make sense how he plays the game. I'm just trying to go out there and play hockey, and it sucks when you've got to pull a stick out of your groin every shift. <laughs> Again, relatively benign compared to what we've seen in other sports. But considering these guys don't really ever say much, as you and I quote you all the time, and I try to credit you whenever I can. And if sometimes I slip up and take credit for it myself, I apologize. It's a bunch of, you know, the NHL have a bunch of players that wouldn't tell you the price of a hot dog if they were standing next to the sign. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, I love that line from you. Yeah. That uh, it um, it certainly is kind of crazy when that, that gets brought up. All right, one more for you before we let you go. All I know right. you're busy. Uh, how about a trade proposal? I know you love those. Okay. Uh, Nick love M yeah, says, any way for a Matt Duchesne, two years left on his contract, to the Rangers for Ryan Graves, Derek Stepan, and Nicholas Jensen? No. <laughs> no. Uh I think that the if the if the Colorado Avalanche trade Matt Duchesne, they're gonna be looking for a really uh, a young high end defender that can be part of their group. Right. And uh, you know, they were looking to get maybe Charlie McAvoy from Boston. I don't think that's happening. Uh Ottawa has a kid which I'm blanking on his name right now, really good young Thomas. Shabbat, maybe that might right. be his name, but he played for Team Canada at the World Juniors and was terrific for them. And uh, you know they're looking for really a high-end, uh, you know, defenseman for their group if they're going to trade Matt Duchesne. I'll be curious to see what uh, Joe Sakic and that group decides to do at the, uh, you know, in, in the days leading up to the draft and free agency because uh, they've got some good players there in Colorado. It was just a disastrous, disastrous year for them. But uh, you know they're one of those teams if they can make one. Nice move, and maybe get healthy. They can all of a sudden be a little different, but uh, for sure, I just think that they're going to be looking for more than that uh, in terms of getting uh, in getting them to the Rangers. Oh, so sorry you weren't uh, you didn't give the answer that he was hoping for, but no, I mean, that's like, life. Listen, if he wants to listen, if he wants to trade Brady Shea, oh, and, well, and someone see, that's else, the thing, and someone else. Then I mean I think we could. Really and I don't think the Rangers want to do that. We can have a dialogue on this, but yeah. I don't think that. Uh, yeah, that, there you go. The Rangers don't want to. Do <laughs> yeah, they that. want to. Of course do they that. wouldn't. They don't want to do it. It's like everybody like you. You don't want. I'm going to trade you like my three bags of trash for your color TV. I mean, like, no, it doesn't work that way. You no, trade, you unless know, you, you really, trade, like, for whatever reason, need trash. Like trash, yeah, yeah you like trash. <laughs> and we and know. Not to, say that they, not to say that these guys are trash. I'm just saying that, like, no, you know, obviously, you got to give to get. Yeah, so and, it works. And like, you know, and Derek Stefan's been a real good player in the league, but you know, the problem for the uh, Colorado Avalanche isn't having another forward. You know, they've got some good forwards. They could use a, a real center. But I don't think that Derek Stepan is the guy they're they're looking for at this point in time. So there you have it. Enjoy the rest of your week, buddy. I appreciate everything. Of course I will. You do the same, Don, and uh, you know we'll figure out what's going on next week. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting several. It's going to be an interesting week because uh, these two series very hard to predict what's going to happen. Yeah, we and I think we're locked into two uh, long series. It'll be a while yeah. before we're able to determine 
who our uh, Stanley Cup final participants are going to be. EJ Raddick, NHL Network. It's NHL Now between the hours of 4 and 6 Eastern time. Definitely check it out and follow him at Twitter at, at EJ Raddick underscore NHL. I'll talk to you next week, buddy. All right, Donnie. Take care. All right. That's the great EJ Raddick. Always fun to talk to him. So we're back into a rhythm here on game misconduct. So tomorrow we'll be able to recap game two of the Eastern Conference final between Ottawa and Pittsburgh. So some interesting things from EJ. He thinks Ottawa might have something to say in this series. And certainly if they win tonight, going back to Ottawa up two games to none on Pittsburgh could be very interesting. Wouldn't it be something if we get a rematch of 10 years ago when Anaheim and Ottawa played uh, back in 2007? But certainly uh, Nashville We'll have something to say about that out west. So tomorrow we'll preview game three in the west, recap game two in the east. Want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag game is conduct. You can follow us on the Apple podcast. You can also follow us on the ESPN app and definitely subscribe to it. We're going to take you all the way until a Stanley Cup champion is crowned. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct podcast with Don LaGreca.